All right, let's uh, have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin tonight. Thank you, Father, for this time together. As we finish up the class tonight, we thank you for <clears throat> all the truths that we have gone over about the preservation of Scripture down to our very day. And again, we're so thankful that we live in a time when we have access to Scripture, but we know that makes us more responsible for the truth that we hear and, and can understand. So give us willing hearts and uh, willing minds to take in and to have a submissive attitude of obedience to all that we hear and learn from your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. I'm going to share this screen here if I can. And, um, it's not the one I wanted to share. All right, so we'll start with our quiz here tonight. Um, number one, the new King, the new international version, the NIV, was last revised in 2011. True. Yes. True. That's our last revision. Uh, number two, the new King James version is based on the Textus Receptus. True. Yes, That's in the New true. Testament. That's true. That's true. It is. On the New Testament, it is. <laughs> the uh, early fundamentalists were opposed to translations other than the King James Version. Oh, true. Is that true a tr- or what? It's not supposed to be tricky. The, what we went over uh, last time was that uh, the, early, the early fundamentalists, capital F, who wrote the fundamentals. Yeah, not sure. Uh, they they were not opposed uh, to other translations. In fact, in the volume set, the fundamentals, they used the revised version and the American Standard Version. And they actually, remember, we had a quote that's uh, from one of the leaders, fundamentalist leaders then, who said that all translations have errors in them. And, you know, we're talking, when we talk about inspiration, we're talking about the the autographs, the original manuscripts. So, the King James only movement came into fundamentalism eventually, and today uh, it's it seems to be centered there and among some fundamental. Number four, King James only advocates believe that only the King James version is the Word of God in English. True. That's true. That that that's how you could define King James only. Now, some people may say I prefer the King James, and I think it's the best. That's not exactly King James only. You could prefer the King James. You may argue, well, I think it's better than other translations. That's not exactly King James only. And it's perfectly fine if you, if one wants to advocate that and many do. But uh, King James only advocates believe that only the King James is the word of God. And some take out the word English. Some King James only advocates believe if you go to Japan and translate the Bible, you translate from the King James version. Or if you go to any other country and translate, you translate from the King James Version, English Version, into that language. Five, some King James only advocates grudgingly accept the new King James Version. You say that's false, isn't it? It's false. That's your, I've never, I never true. met one. <laughs> so they don't accept the new King. Even though the new King James is translated from the Texas Receptus and uh, has basically the same... Same translation base as the 
Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, you can see that really the King James only position is a King James only. It's the English. Even though they'll say, uh, we think the TR is the best text, they'll appeal to the text receptus. They will not accept the New King James Version. <clears throat> so they're inconsistent in their arguments in that sense. All right. Let's go on then, and we're looking at page 68 in our notes. And on the left, we're continuing in our our uh, trail there of versions that are uh, based upon uh, the earliest versions of Tyndall and the King James and so forth. We talked about the RSV of 1946, how that when it initially came out, it was it was. Uh, Praised by fundamentalists and conservatives like John R. Rice, Moody Monthly, and others. But then when the Old Testament came out, uh, they rejected it because of some of the readings, conjectural emendations, some of the Isaiah 7:14, and some other things. Not that it's entirely bad or anything, but they didn't approve of it overall. But the RSV uh, has been used, was used by m- most mainline denominations. Most mainline, I'm talking about the Methodist, United Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church in the USA, PCUSA, uh, other American Baptist groups and other groups, other mainline denominations. But then it came necessary to revise the RSV, and that's what we have here. In 1990, they revised the RSV uh, to the new Revised Standard Version. And that was the version I had in class one time when I read to you out of the Apocrypha. Uh, so it's very helpful there. This revision was begun in 74. Uh, number two, it was designed to make improvements in structure, accuracy, clarity, still retaining sort of the King James tradition, eliminates masculine-oriented language. I say it's the most ecumenical of all English versions. It contains not only the 66 books of the Protestant canon, but you can get it with the Apocrypha, like my version, as well as other books accepted by Eastern Orthodox churches. <clears throat> so it's, it's you know, that's what I was reading to you out of. And if you ever wanted a copy of that, you can go to the American Bible Society. American Bible Society prints Bibles. And you can go to their website, American Bible Society. I think it's Bibles.org or Bibles.com or something is there. And you can buy a copy fairly inexpensively of the RS, new RSV with all those apocryphal books and other books. Uh, you can buy an, a new RSV without the apocrypha, but you can buy it with it. That's what I have. If you want to read those books for any particular reason. So it's an up-to-date translation of those books, which is helpful, easier to read. Number four, conservative reviewers have pointed to sort of a liberal bias in certain translations like we talked about. But there you're on page 69. You can see I've got it up against the NIV. And it's it's perfectly fine translation except for those certain parts which kind of display a tendency towards liberal theology. Let's talk about the message. Uh, the next one here, the Bible in contemporary English, the message. Uh, I've heard people in our church talk about this version. Have any of you ever read it or anything? Anybody here read it? You read it, Val? Uh, Larry has read some. So a lot of folks have read it. And I say it's a highly idiomatic personal paraphrase of the Bible produced by Eugene H. Peterson. He's passed away now. 
and I used the contemporary American slang. I said it was one of the best-selling Bibles, actually. Now, why would a Bible like this be best-selling? Again, it goes back to the fact that a lot of Christians, a lot of people in the pews, so to speak, they hunger to to understand the Bible. They want to understand the Bible. As a Christian, that just comes naturally with regeneration. You want to you want to know God's word, and you're looking for any help you can get. And the message is very explanatory. It is mm-hmm. very paraphrastic. Uh, I say it's incorrect to place it in the category of what's normally called a Bible. There's nothing evil about reading it, but one must be careful that it's reading one man's interpretive interpretation. And you can see it in Romans 12, 1 and 2 there. He says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. <laughs> okay, that's, you know, it's just <laughs> not in the Bible there, but, you know. <laughs> and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's a good idea. That's that's a, a nice capture of the idea. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. True. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. There's nothing wrong with all that. It's fine, but it goes well beyond what the text actually says. Uh, so it's, it's nothing wrong with reading it, but you have to realize you're reading a, a, a one person's interpretation of scripture. And, and that can be helpful sometimes, but it's good to compare that with what the text it actually says. It, he says a lot more. <clears throat> and, you know, that's what we do in sermons and in teaching. We take the text and we try to explain it. We say sometimes more uh, and, and so forth. Uh, let's come to the contemporary English version, the CEV. Now, I've got that compared against today's English version, Good News for Modern Man, where we talked about that in 1966. That was a modern speech version, and it was very popular because it was, again, very readable. And then they changed the name of it to the Good News Bible, and now it's called the Good News Translation. So it's produced by the American Bible Society, just like the CEV. Now, this this is a paraphrastic version, really designed for children at a fourth-grade reading level. It's similar to this Good News Testament. It's published by the American Society, but it's a lower reading level. Now, one of the problems with it is that key theological words, including grace, justification, Righteousness, sanctification, redemption, atonement, repentance, and covenant are avoided. Well, that's, that can be a little, that can be very problematic because it's hard to do away with the word justification, our sanctification, our redemption, you know, <laughs> these are kind of key terms. So here's the uh, CEV, uh, on Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I've got that, uh, on page, uh, 70. Um, this is, I say it's the work of Barclay Newman, but he was aided by other scholars. So it says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. 
This is, uh, I'm sorry, this, I'm sorry, this is Romans, this is Romans 3, 23 through 26. I should have put that up there in the heading. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 is not so different, but here is part of the problem. Uh, I want to read to you Romans, uh, um, Romans uh, 3, 23 through 26. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the God's glory. But God treats us much better than we deserve. Well, that's true. And all are justified freely by his grace, the NIV says, through the redemption that kind came through Christ Jesus. And because of Christ, he freely accepts us and sets us free from our sins. That's not exactly the Romans three twenty four is not saying that justification doesn't set us free. It sets us free from the penalty of our sins, but not from the power of our sins. That's sanctuary. 25, 26. God sent Christ to be our sacrifice. Christ offered his life's blood so that by faith in him, we could come to God. And God did this to show in the past he was right to be patient, forgive sinners. This also shows that God is right when he accepts people. So it's not terrible there, but uh, in trying to get rid of some of these words, you could sometimes go too far. There are certain words like righteousness and justification, which are kind of essential to explaining the Christian message. We can we can try to make things more readable, more understandable, but there's only so far you can go with that. You've got to keep key terms and so forth. So that's a problem with the CEV. <clears throat> Let's come now to the New Living Translation, which is another popular uh Translation. I don't know, has anybody read that? Anybody done any reading? And you, li- okay, Valence done too. Mm-hmm. It's not terrible yeah. or anything like that. Um, you can see. Uh, I say the Living Bible has been very popular. The New Living Translation is 1996, and the second edition I got 2004. But the Living Bible we talked about sold over 40 million copies. Remember uh, that was very popular. Uh, in 1989, it was decided to revise the Living Bible working from the original language rather than ASV. Remember this, the Living Bible was produced by one man, Kenneth Taylor, who worked for Moody Press. And remember, as he was driving, as he was on the train going home from work every day, he would make, he would take the ASV and paraphrase it so that his children could better understand the Bible because they couldn't understand the King James, the ASV or the King James very well. And uh, so they decided the Living Bible is popular. Let's try to make it more accurate, living new, te- living new Living Translation. And it is. So it's the work of 90 biblical scholars over a seven-year period. It's really such a revision of the Living Bible that it's really almost like a new translation. It's less paraphrastic. So it's much better accurate than the Living Bible. But here's what Craig Blomberg says who was the principal translator for the Gospel of Matthew, believes that the version is not suitable as a regular Bible for adults. Uh, Blomberg explained that the version is for kids or very poor adult readers, and he suggested that readers of the New Living Translation should move to a more accurate version when they are able. So he's not saying you can't use it, it's not okay, it's good, but he, he recommends you move to something a little more a little more accurate. I relish the chance to work on the New Living Translation. Uh, 
team to convert the Living Bible into a truly dynamic equivalent translation, but I never recommend it to anyone except to supplement the reading of a more literal translation to generate freshness and new insights, unless they are kids or very poor adult readers. My 16 and 12-year-old daughters have been weaned on the New Living Translation and have loved it, but have both have already but both already on their own are now frequently turning to the NIV. So it's not terrible. It's good, but uh, it's, it has some problems in the sense of it's made for kind of poor readers. And therefore uh, it's not quite as accurate as we might like as a lot, a little more paraphrase. In 2004, a new edition was released. Uh, because of criticisms and in 2015, some updates were. Uh, so it's, it's fine to read. It's, it's, it's good. Um, let's I got a question. To, yeah, go ahead. Hey, what, what would you recommend to a new believer of all these translations you're going over? Uh, you know, just to, uh, supplement, you know, the NIV or then, or the NASB? Well, I think the New Living Translation would be good. Yeah, that would be fine to supplement if they. Yeah. You know, it depends on what you mean by supplement. I mean, they could use NASB, like you say. Uh, ESV would be better than NASB, actually. I would recommend. I'd recommend the NIV first, and then a more literal, a little more literal. The ESV is 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 very very good. ESV very very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, if okay. they want something more paraphrastic, the New Living Translation would be the best to go to first. Yes. The new living Good. would probably would be the better than the message or something like that. But uh, yeah. I was going to ask you at the end of the class: Are there any more translations going on? <laughs> well, <laughs> there's always there's all these committees are continuing to meet, like the new RSV committee meets, the NIV committee meets, and I mentioned to you uh, that the New American Standard Bible, not a new translate, New American Standard Bible has a revision coming out maybe this year or next year. So there'll be a new new American standard. And remember we said that uh John MacArthur's is 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 uh has a new translation called the Legacy Standard Bible, L S B, which is a revision of the New American Standard, which is the co- Masters College and Master's Seminary is working on. Uh beyond that, I'm not aware of a, another translation that's that's coming up, coming around. I don't, mm-hmm. okay. I don't see one in the future. <clears throat> You're not coming out with one? Not, not, <laughs> not, uh, not this year, but check me with me next year and, <laughs> and, and I'll see, uh, see what we can do for you there, Ed. Um, All right. Get you a signed <laughs> copy on it. Uh, so let's look at page 71, the net Bible. Um, the Net Bible. This was produced in 1996, a second edition just in 2019. The name Net Bible is a double entendre or a double meaning, standing both for the New English translation and the Internet. So the Net Bible was the Net, the Internet Bible and the uh, New English translation. Since the translation is available for free on the Internet, at not, netbible.com or maybe netbible.org. There's a couple of sites there. It's the work of evangelicals. It was conceived in November 1995, and the first translations appeared in 1996. New Testament completed in 1998, and the Old Testament 2005. 
Now, what's the what's the story behind this Bible? Well, as it was told to me by the the, the, the New Testament editor Dan Wallace back in 1996. Uh, I don't know if you can remember back then, but in the early days of the internet, the internet was just becoming popular, just getting just getting big and I mean, all of you can remember the days before the internet, and uh, we didn't really have anything. And uh, we had America Online. Remember that America Online? I used to go to America Online, and that was kind of like a mini little AOL. internet. Yeah, AOL. And then we had the internet. But back then, in 1996, there was a lot of discussion about this internet is coming along, and we would like a Bible that we can freely use without copyright restrictions or monetary <coughs> restrictions to use for study on the internet. So if you, if you want to use the NIV, say, uh, you can use it in the classroom like we're doing and stuff like that. As long as you don't quote the uh, whole, whole, uh, whole book, you have to get permission if you use more than a thousand, each one of these uh, each one of these Bibles has restrictions. You can't just print your own NIV. You you could try, but you'd be sued <laughs> um, because the publishers want their 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 money for that. So the problem is, if you want to produce biblical materials, you've got to get permission. I'm not. I don't know if there's cost to that or not. But the point is that some evangelical scholars were talking about this at a meeting at a meeting of scholars called the Evangelical Theological Society. And they decided that um, they, they, they had a, a backer who said, I'll put up a million dollars. This is what I was told by people there who were there at the meeting. I'll put up a million dollars so that you can secure the rights to the NIV to use it on the Internet for free. Now, today, you can go to the Internet and pretty much get whatever you want. You can go to Biblica. Is it about... Uh, Bible, what's that site, Larry? BibleGateway.com. Yeah. BibleGateway.com. And, and, and you can get any version you want and all that. So things have changed. But back then, the idea that this guy said, I'll give you a million dollars and you can secure rights to the NIV and you can use it free on the internet. Who pays out of it? And they said, well, for that much money, we could, we could produce our own translation. And that's what they did. They produced a new translation called the Net Bible. Now, this Bible is rather unique, and it's worth consulting and looking at. As I mentioned in number three there, uh, it has, uh, it's noted for a massive number of notes, about 60,000 notes. That is a lot of notes, <laughs> 60,000 notes. Um including extensive text-critical, lexical, and exegetical notes. The translators and editors used the notes to give a translation that was more formally equivalent while placing a somewhat more functional equivalent in the text itself to promote better readability and understandability. Now, we'll have to talk about what those terms mean in a moment here. But what they did was they translated more meaning for meaning in the text that is, when you look at the Net Bible on the right there, it's more like the NIV. <clears throat> but um, in the in the notes, they'll give a more literal translation. 
And I'm just citing one example here, the word appointed in Romans 1.4. There's some controversy about how to translate that word. What does it mean? Because the NIV 1984 and most translations had the word declared with power to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. And then the NIV 2011, the net Bible have appointed. And so there's a long note appointed the son of God in power. So they go into great length to explain all this Greek and textual details and why they chose that, what they did. So it's got 60,000 notes in this thing. Just an unbelievable kind of thing. So this is a tremendously helpful study resource. If you're studying the Bible and you want some help, uh, go to the Net Bible, uh, netbible.org or netbible.com, and take a look at that. Uh, it's online. It's free. They actually have printed copies, too. But it has just all kinds of notes about the meaning of words and explanations of translations. It's, it's very, 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 very helpful. So it's worth, it's worth looking at, uh, if you haven't ever checked it out and you're studying the Bible, studying a passage or something. All right. <clears throat> Let's look at the Christian Standard Bible. As you can see, as I got on the right there, that's a new translation. Now it got its, it got started by a different name. The Holman Christian Standard Bible. <clears throat> I say here, the Christian Standard Bible 2000, done in New Testament 2000, Old Testament 2004, but revised in 2009 and in 2017. In 2017, the name was changed from Holman Christian Standard Bible, HCSB to CSB. Let's look at this. Number one, the translation is under the direction of the Sunday School Board of the Southern Baptist Convention which was renamed Lifeway Christian Resources of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1998. The publisher, Broadman and Holman, is the agency's standard publishing house. It was originally called the Holman Christian Standard Bible. So Holman is a, is a, is a name used by the Southern Baptist Convention in their publishing house. There's a lot of Holman, Holman works in, you know, in bookstores. Holman this, Holman that. Holman Bible Atlas and all kinds of stuff. That's an, that's a publisher's name that, that the Southern Baptists have had B and H, Broadman, Holman. And so when they first did this, they called it the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Number two, why did they, why did they produce this Bible in 2000? Well, it was conceived as a replacement for the NIV, which the Southern Baptist Convention Sunday School Board had been using in its curriculum materials under a license agreement. So there it is. You've got to pay. You know, if the Southern Baptist Convention wants to, wants to produce Sunday school material that they charge for. In other words, we can use the NIV here at church in, in the sense that we're just charging for the printing of it. We're not making a profit. We're not a profit organization. But if you want to, if the Southern Baptist Convention wants to print Sunday school material, then they got to get a license. They just said, no, we don't want to do that. We'll just produce our own um, translation so that we can use that in our Sunday school material. And I assume uh, they're using that in their Sunday school material today, the Christian Standard Bible. So in 1988, the Sunday school board, which is now called LifeWay, 
entered into an agreement with Arthur Farstad, who had been the editor of the New King James Version, as a matter of fact, for him to oversee this. He, he died, and a guy named Edwin Bloom was appointed editor. So the version was produced by a 90-member team of translators and stylists and a smaller six-person team, the chief editors, who met in Dallas. It claims to use the philosophy called optimal equivalence. We'll have to talk maybe about that in a moment here, which is the best features of formal equivalence, uh, which is literal translation, word for word, and functional meaning for meaning. Uh, a second edition of the Holman Christian Bible was introduced in 2009. One unique feature was the use of Yahweh for the name of God, the Tetragrammaton. However, Yahweh is only used for about 10% of the occurrences of the Tetragrammaton. Now, remember, we talked about this issue before, the Tetragrammaton. What is that? That's these four letters, Y-H-W-H, or there it is, Y. H W H. Hey Larry, can you see my pointer when I put that on the screen here? Yeah, can. Okay. So Hebrew is read from right to left backwards for us. Y H W H. And so that's the name of God. <clears throat> Translated sometimes Jehovah, member uh in the Old Testament. So the King James uh usually translates that as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. A few times, the King James has Jehovah, which is, we talked about kind of a misspelling. It should be Yahweh or Yahweh. And so they decided that they would, uh, one of the things they would do was they would translate the name of God uh, with this name Yahweh, Yahweh. So sometimes in the Old Testament, you'll see L-O-R-D. That's the word Adonai, which just means master or Lord. But the actual personal name of God, God's personal name, is Yahweh. Now, modern translations like the NIV, ESV, they follow the King James tradition of just putting it in all caps, capital L-O-R-D. But they decided that they would um, that they would uh, translate a lot of the time with this name Yahweh. Now, we talked about this before, I think maybe last week, because we talked about John MacArthur's new Bible, the Legacy Standard Bible, which is a revision of the New American Standard Bible. And one of the things they're going to do is every time Yahweh appears in the Old Testament, every time the Tetragrammaton, these four letters appear, they're going to translate it Yahweh or Yahweh in this new version that the John MacArthur is and his schools are coming out with. Excuse me. So that'll be interesting. Most translations have not taken that route. But notice number five. In 2017, the 2017 revision was renamed Christian Standard Bible. That's what you find today. <clears throat> you can't buy a Holman Christian Standard Bible unless it's in a used bookstore. You can, they don't publish it. It was overseen by a committee of 10 scholars chaired by Thomas Schreiner and David Allen. These are professors in Southern Baptist seminaries. One of the major changes was dropping the use of Yahweh for the name of God. So they did away with that. So the Christian Standard Bible had this adopted this convention at least some of the time, not all the time, just a few times. And here's what they said. 
they said the Holman Christian Standard Bible is inconsistent, rendering YHWA as Yahweh in only 656 of his 6,000 plus occurrences. Because full accuracy would be overwhelming, full accuracy would be overwhelming to the reader. So they, so the Holman Christian Standard Bible felt we're not going to use Yahweh all the time. It'll be overwhelming to the reader. Well, we're going to find that out when John MacArthur's comes out with his new Bible because we're going to see it 6,000 plus times in the Old Testament because he's going, he said they're going to translate it Yahweh every time. Yet feedback from readers also showed the unfamiliarity of Yahweh was an obstacle to reading the Holman Christian Standard Bible. In addition, when quoting the Old Testament texts that include an occurrence of Yahweh, the New Testament remembers Yahweh with the word kurios, which is a title like Adonai, rather than a personal name. This supports the direction of bringing the Christian Standard Bible in line with most English versions, rendering Yahweh as Lord. So they're going back to what the ESV, the NIV, New American Standard, King James all had with the Christian Standard Bible. This is a good Bible. This is a fine Bible. It's a good Bible. It's not as common in our circles. Uh, I don't know how many Southern Baptist churches have adopted it and so forth. Many Southern Baptist churches went to the NIV. I don't, I'm not as familiar with Southern Baptist churches enough of them to know what they are using. A lot of them are using the ESV. I, I don't know about the, how much, how many are using the Christian Standard Bible. Well, let's come to an important version here now. <clears throat> the NIV and the ESV, English Standard Version. So these are probably the two main versions of evangelicals today. I mean, they, they use the King James also, you know. But the ESV uh, used to be the New American Standard, but the ESV has now outstripped and outsold and is more popular than the New American Standard Bible is. So I say this is a revision of the 1971 RSV. So you've got two revisions of the RSV. You've got the New Revised Standard Version by that committee, liberal scholars, liberal scholars. And you've got the ESV revision, which is conservative evangelical scholars. It's by a translation of team of more than 100 under the direction of a 12-member translation oversight committee. It calls itself an essentially literal translation. One of the motivations behind the production of the ESV was the dissatisfaction with the translation of philosophy of the NIB by a number of evangelical leaders, including John Piper and Wayne Grudem. So John Piper, his friend Wayne Grudem, these are well-known men, excellent men, but uh, they were not happy with the more meaning-for-meaning translation of the NIV. They wanted a more word-for-word translation. Mm-hmm. Wayne, remember John Piper loved the RSV in 1946. He loved it. He founded a Wheaton College when he went to Wheaton. When he was, when he went to Fuller Theological Seminary out in California, he used it. The faculty used it out there. He loved it. But when he went to Bethlehem Church, he couldn't use it because the, the RSV was not really accepted by conservatives. So he had to use the New American Standard Bible. But now, so he wanted he wanted a revision of the RSV by conservatives, and that's how this thing got started. 
1998, Wayne Grudem and Lane Dennis, the president of Crossway, obtained permission from the National Council of Churches, which owns the copyright, to use the 1971 revision of the RSV as a starting point. So they used the RSV 1971 as their starting point. The ESV was undertaken, number two, with the idea that there was a need for a evangelical version that's more literal than the New International Version, but more idiomatic than the New American Standard. It had become the major alternative translation. It has be, it, it had become the major alternative translation of the New International Version among evangelicals, that is the New American Standard. Page 73, the ESV updated the archaic language of the RSV, made significant corrections. For example, they restored virgin, virgin in Isaiah 714. In 2007, a slightly revi- rev- a, a slightly, slightly revision, a slight revision, I should say, appeared, uh, in which about 360 changes were made. In 2008, the ESV Study Bible was published. In 2011, a revised edition was published, and another in 2016. In August of 2016, this note appeared on the Crossway website. Now, this I'm reporting here a little embarrassing situation about the ESV. I don't mean to degrade it, but it shows you how Bible translators can sometimes. I think this is a this was a big mistake, mm-hmm. but they said uh, they said on their website, beginning in the summer of 2016, the text of the ESV Bible will remain unchanged in all future editions printed and published by the Crossway. In much the same way that the King James Version has remained unchanged ever since the final text was established almost 250 years ago, 1769. This decision was made unanimously by the Crossway Board of Directors and the ESV Translation Oversight Committee. All future Crossway editions of the ESV, therefore, will contain permanent, contain the permanent text of the ESV Bible unchanged throughout the life of copyright in perpetuity. <laughs> so this, this is, uh, you know, this sounds like almost like King James only, you know, we're going to establish the ESV. You can't change it. It can't be modified. It's perfect. And all that kind of thing. And that didn't go over too well. The next month, number six, a new post abandoned that position. In August, 2016, we posted on our website. uh, In August, 2016, they say we posted on our website that the text of the ESV Bible remain unchanged in all future editions printed and published by the company. The goal behind the, this decision was to make the text permanent to stabilize, stabilize the ESV stand, the English Standard Version, rendering its readership, uh, serving its readership by establishing the ESV as a translation that could be used for generations to come. We desired for there to be a stable standard text that would serve the reading, memorizing, preaching, and liturgical needs of Christians worldwide from one generation to another. We have become convinced that this decision was a mistake. We apologize for this and for any concern this caused for readers of the ESV. We want to explain what we now believe to be the way forward. Our desire above all is to do what is right before the Lord. Crossway goes on to explain that realized minor updates will probably be required in the future. So what happened here was when the ESV came out, remember in 2001, it was updated a number of times, 2007. 2008, several times it was updated, and it, it never really says, it doesn't really report those updates. If you have an ESV from back then, 
it's hard to know which one you got because it doesn't say in the table. It doesn't say in the first few pages that this is a new edition. It just makes some changes. They got some criticism for that. And so they decided we're just going to put this <clears throat> version out and not change it. But then they got criticism because they say, well, don't you ever want to improve upon it? It's, it's a tough thing. So, uh, you know, basically we, we, we want a Bible that doesn't change every day. You don't want to change your version every day. And so you have to be careful about updating your translation. The NIV was 84 and then it was done in 2011. So what's that? 16, 27 years. So we don't need to update a translation every year, <clears throat> even every 10 years, every 20 years. You know, you you want to wait a long time before you try to make any updates. And that's what they're going to do here, which is good. I don't mean to belittle the ESV, but it's a very good translation. So I would say the best two translations out on the market today are the NIV and the ESV for us, for you and I. Now, the New Living Translation, as I was talking to Ed about, is good. If you want to uh, have a translation that's more paraphrastic to help people to understand the Bible, that's good. The Christian Standard Bible is, is, I think, good too, but it's not received a lot of notice. The ESV, the NIV are the two most popular, and they have different, slightly different translation philosophies. Let's look at that translation philosophy on page 74. What is translation theory? I say it's possible, 74, to classify translations based on their correspondence to two different theories of translation. These have technical names. They're called formal equivalence and functional equivalence. Formal equivalence, you can call formal correspondence. It's often called, or you can say literalism or a more literal, a more word for word. Translation seeks to reproduce the Greek, the form of the Greek language into English. It's primarily a word for word translation. Functional equivalence, sometimes called dynamic equivalence, a translation that seeks to reproduce primarily the meaning of the Greek language. It's primarily a meaning for meaning translation. As I say, no translation is completely formal or literal. Some are more than others. Translations may be viewed as a continuum, such as on the chart below. <clears throat> so, now, if you look at the chart here, like I've got on the screen, you can see that probably the most literal translation that we have available, at least one of the most, is the ASV of 1901. And the King James is not as literal as the ASV. The New American Standard is pretty literal. This is not an exact uh, chart here. I'm not, I don't claim that this is absolute. These charts are made by a lot of people and they're, uh, I'm copying what others have done and my own thinking about this. And as you go across there, you can see the RSV, the ESV, the New King James, Christian Standard Bible, NIV. As you move to the right, you get more meaning for meaning. You finally get over to just very free translations like the Living Bible, the Message which is very paraphrastic, very free, uh, willing to depart from the text more and more and more. So every translation is somewhere on this line, on the, on this chart, somewhere it's, it's a, 
it's it's uh, you, you can be more literal, more word for word, more meaning for meaning. And so that's what I've tried to illustrate there. <clears throat> now let's talk about how to talk about this difference as simply as we can here. Uh, I say uh, one way to illustrate the difference in the theory of translation is to look at a particular verse in the New American Standard, the ESV and the NIV. Notice Luke 9.44. The New American Standard says, let these words sink into your ears. Let these words sink into you, your ears. Um, I'll close that window there. Let these words sink into your ears. The ESV says, let these words sink into your ears. The NIV says, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. So I say the NESB and the ESV are designed to be more word-for-word equivalents of the Greek, though the New American Standard is more so. The ESV describes this philosophy as essentially literal. The new the NI, uh, the NIV translation is an attempt to take the meaning of the literal Greek and put it into a modern English form, which expresses the same meaning. So there you have it. You know, let the word, let these words sink into your ears. I understand that. We understand that. But, and I don't know, do we ever, I don't know if we talk like that today or not. You know, we don't normally say let these words sink in. We might. It's possible you could, you could say that, but it's not likely that you would say that. Uh, so the NIV has said, okay, let's change that into uh, what is more normal English. Normal, we might say normal, regular English. Let's listen carefully to what I tell you. Now, this illustrates the great debate here because many of my friends, many of my good friends, <laughs> disagree with me on this point. They would think, no, I like the ESV better. <laughs> I want that ESV. And, they, and they, they're very strong on that belief. So, you have good, as we say, good men differ about this and so forth. And, uh, uh, you know, fortunately we have both translations. We can use both, but people feel like, no, we should just leave it like, because the, the, uh, the, the Hebrew, the Greek says ears there. It has sink into your ears. And so that's what well, we should just leave it like that. And people can probably figure that out. And, uh, I was just reading an article that just came out that where a translator, a guy from the ESV defends that translation. And so it's, it's a real, it's a real difference of opinion on these particular points. I think for you and I, for you especially, fortunately, you know, we're using the NIV in our church, but if you want to look at the ESV, it's an excellent translation. You can look at it, study it and so forth. It's, it's good too. Uh, let's go over to page uh, 75. I say differences this great as in Luke 94, Luke 944 between the NASV, ESV, and NIV are quite rare. Many times they have exactly the same translation. For example, John 1 1 is the same in all three. King James, ESV, NASV, NIV. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. They all say the same thing. 
Where the differences most often appear are places where the translators of the NIV felt that a more literal translation would not be clear to the reader or might not correctly convey the sense of the original. So here's another one, Mark 1-2. Shows how a formal equivalent translation results in understandable English, but not quite natural English. King James Version, Mark 1-2. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. ESV, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. NIV, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. So there it is. Send my messenger before your face is not exactly normal English. We don't, that's not how we express it in English. We would say ahead of you. We wouldn't say before your face, uh, you know, so that's the deal. Uh, similarly, Psalm 147.10, New American Standard. He does not delight in the strength of a horse. He does not take pleasure in the le- legs of a man. This is God. ESV, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. NIV, his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. So they're trying to explain what it means by the legs of a man. They're talking about a strong man, a warrior. You know, God doesn't, God, God doesn't take pleasure in human strength, that kind of thing. Ned Bible says he is not enamored with the strength of a horse, nor is he impressed by the warrior's strong legs. There's another way to try to do it. First Thessalonians 1 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Now, I think I would bet my paycheck, if I had one, I would bet my paycheck on that you can't find anybody who could tell me what patience of hope means and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The ESV kind of keeps this language, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Now, when I look at that in the in the English, I think that means your work, which is, for, I don't know what I think I mean, labor, uh, your labor, love, and I guess I left out labor of love there. I'm sorry for the ESV. I copied that wrong or something. It should be labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what the NIV does to try to help us here. We remember before our God, your work produced by faith. Now there's no debate among Greek scholars as to what's going on here. This is a kind of a, this is a particular construction of what's called the genitive case. And this is what's called a, uh, your work produced by faith. Your work, uh, faith, uh, faith produces the work. Technically called a subjective genitive. So if you look at a commentary, they all agree that this is what it means. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted or produced by love, and your endurance or perseverance 
inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's very good personally, you know, but my, some of my friends don't like it. They think, no, just leave what their, their argument is this. Uh, I say here then is the crux of the debate between the supporters of the new American standard ESV and NIV. The new American standard ESV supporters argue we should translate more literal and let the readers study the issue out for themselves. They would say a translation like the NIV involves too much interpretation on the part of the translators. The NIV supporters, like Bill Combs, argue that since God's word is meant to be understood, we should seek to convey the meaning of the original as best can as can be determined, even if that means moving away from a more word-for-word translation. It seems to me that a meaning-for-meaning is the correct method of translation, but I say admittedly, Good Christians agree disagree on this point here, and I don't think we'll ever agree on it. I say, fortunately, you and I have access to both translations, so we're very fortunate. We can look at a more literal translation like the ESV. We can look at a more meaningful meaning like the NIV and kind of compare them. We don't have to go one with another, but if you're going to, if you're, uh, you know, preaching in a church, your church has to adopt a version and kind of go with it and stick with it, and our church has gone with the NIV. And one of the reasons for for, for, uh, sticking to a version like this is because study materials and and things are produced in that particular version, like the NIV has all kinds of stuff produced. Uh, uh, Is your, Val, is your children's stuff in the NIV or what? Unfortunately, RBP, which we use uh, at during Sunday school, we use a couple things, but RBP only does King James or ESV. Okay. Yeah. So, so I ESV, buy the ESV. Yeah, that's good. Well, ESV is good. So you're, you're, you're helpful there. So those are the two competing translations now. NIV and ESV are the two competing for publishers and, and that kind of thing and so forth. Well, I got on page 76, there's kind of a table that I have copied from others. <clears throat> there are ways to measure readability of, <laughs> you know, of text. And so you can see that the King James is, you know, obviously more difficult because it's older English and much more difficult versus other versions and so forth. I mentioned a couple of books there that if you're interested in reading, there's a lot of books on this, but there's kind of a simple book by uh, Timothy Jones, and there's a more complex one by Paul Wegner on this particular thing. Well, any questions <clears throat> before we close out here? We made it about 813. That's pretty good. Huh? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting chart uh, uh, at the end, Bill. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of tells you, kind of gives you an idea of what the uh, yeah. real level of these things are. Yeah, I, I looked up uh, King James that Luke nine forty four, yeah, and that says, "Let these sayings sink down into your ears, instead of let these words, okay, sink into your ears." So yeah. I don't know if, if if they don't have a problem going from King James to Nasby. I don't know why they would have a problem going from Nasby to NIV. You know, but anyways, who who are you talking about? Uh. That the NASB and the ESV is is uh, more oh. literal. 
word for um, word and NIV is expresses uh yeah the meaning of it you know well you said they if they had a problem going from the King James I didn't quite get what you were saying there about the King James well if somebody was more inclined to go word for word oh okay instead of using the uh yeah, I mean, if if somebody is using the King James, they should be able to use the New American Standard, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But the King James, only people don't care about that. Yeah. <laughs> they, they think the wording of the King James itself is sacrosanct. It can't be touched. It can't be modified and so forth. And um, the, the King James Bible that I'm looking at was my uh, mother's Bible. She, she's, got this, she's got this thing marked up. Every page, every. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. I, I like to read through there just to see what she's what she some, are, some of her notations, you know, in the margin because she was a great lady of uh of faith, a great Christian. Never really got to know her as much as we would have liked to, because I wasn't uh, saved till I was thirty, thirty five, and. Uh, I think she died like about six years later. You know. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Wonderful. So, did you go to church? Did she take you to church when you were young? Uh, well, yeah, I was. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, even people who are saved at thirty and thirty-five, that that that, uh, you know, what Val is doing and what teaching children is doing is really it, it just doesn't go away. You know, the Apostle Paul was saved on the Damascus road, but all that Jewish stuff he knew, all the, all the Hebrew and all the Bible he knew from the old Testament, that wasn't wasted. And so what we, what children learn in Sunday school, as much as we can get them, you know, it, it's not wasted. It can be very helpful if when God right. saves them. And I, so think, forth. I think it's really, uh, yeah, important for the teachers, uh, the type of, the kind of teachers we have at, at, at community and even inner city are, you know, we'll, uh, I'm sure do a better job than the teachers I had when I was in, in Sunday yeah, school. Good ones. Yeah. Yeah, I had some terrible ones when I went to Sunday school. <laughs> I went to a Southern Baptist church and I remember I was just thinking about it the other day when I was a boy. I, my mom would take me to church, just to Sunday school, but never, we didn't stay for church, but I hated it. Now I, I'm, you know, some children like it, but I just hated it. But I can remember that. Going to Sunday school, the teacher, sometimes we just discuss what was on TV or the football games or it's hard to believe that, you know, there was, there was not really much Bible teaching. And this was a Southern Baptist church. I, it's very, very sad. So, um, yeah, we are thankful for the teachers we have who teach the Bible and our children. Right. Anything else? Well, listen, thank you all for joining us. Mm-hmm. And we certainly, I certainly enjoyed it. And, and uh I wish we could be back together at church again, but this is better than nothing, you know, obviously. Yeah. All right, take care. Bye bye. We'll see you later.